Hey everyone, it's time for more Rob Observations. I am Rob Liefeld and this is where we do Rob Observations, where we talk comics and pop culture and how everything connects together and why your movies are the comics from my youth and the comics of my youth is where you're going to get more of your movies and your television and why I love comics more than I love movies and television. But we we, we discovered that all along the journey. So, so we are uh, right in the thick of the dawn of, of an era that changed everything in comics called the 1990s. I can't believe it has been 30 years since the 1990s. But, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of did our intro to the decade. And certainly there was uh, a couple of uh, precursor episodes, a couple of setup episodes, the L boys, Todd McFarlane hunting down all the guys with the name L in, in, in their, in their last name, because he referred to us as, as Dow boys. And, uh, and so, 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 so then, uh, we jumped, we jumped ahead because it was just in the moment, but it was definitely in the nineties. It was 1996, but that's not, and heroes reborn, which is what I dig, but that's not what I think of when I think of the nineties. And right now, we, we, we started uh, basically 89, 90, 91 is where the entire whirlwind begins. And I, I, I detailed with you guys the creation of Cable because Cable as a character impacted the culture, impacted Marvel, and impacted my life as the guy who made Cable. Cable was my life raft. But interestingly enough, tonight, once again, joined by the mighty and the awesome Jimmy Jam. Before he jumps on, I'm going to tell you right now, Jimmy uh, sells tons and tons of comic books. You can either buy them from him at his at his uh, on on his online network that he sells uh, the J Company, or uh, Jimmy has a uh, storefront within the great. And we're going to talk about this tonight, Frank and Sons, that has been going for the same amount of time as this '90s era. And, uh, and Jimmy has been in retail and at all your major conventions for, it seems like 25 plus years, but I am at Jimmy's booth, uh, and, 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 and looking over his table recently and, and I see his customers grabbing and buying the stuff that we're talking about tonight, which makes it a great setup. Welcome back, Jimmy J. How are you doing, buddy? Doing great. Doing great. Um, yeah, man, I was I couldn't believe I was at your booth. And I mean, Age of Apocalypse, Venom, X-Force, uh, Todd's Spider-Man Omnibus, Eric's Spider-Man Omnibus. Jimmy, is that common? Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, put it this way. We have pushed our retail approach has decided to push all in in the 90s. And we have definitely reaped the benefits for it. I think the market has gone this way. The highest amount of fans ever were were touched by the comics in the 1990s. There is a lot of references to pop culture with these 90s characters, and I think it was a it was a ground zero for a lot of people, just like me. And so I, I think that the older fans can come back and can relate to this, and the newer fans they want to take a deep dive. They want to go into their secret origins of their pop culture. And so when we're talking about Deadpool and Venom and Cable and 
I mean, the, you know, the rebirth of, of Marvel, it's, they could all be traced back to the nineties. So given the, the content of this, this podcast, I'm getting more and more people coming up, buying books that they've listened to the podcast and now they want to interact with, and we see it all the time, but we've pushed all in in the, in the, with the, with the nineties. In fact, I was talking to my brother, who's my partner in this, and we are, you know, we're definitely taking the mantle, the retail mantle of 90s kings. I mean, so whether it is the Marvel books, whether it was the early image books, I mean, these are going to be a, it's a cornerstone of our fandom, but it's a cornerstone of our business. And you know what? Why not celebrate it? So, you know, here we are. Well, Jimmy, so, so Frank and Sons, uh, I just, just want to kind of lay this out for everybody because we have a great giant worldwide audience. And Frank and Sons, is it, in, is it in Pomona or the city of industry? It's technically in the city of industry. Okay. So check this out, you guys. It is, it is located basically where LA County, Orange County, and the Inland Empire all meet, Yeah, where all the freeways meet at this corner of these three counties, these three heavily populated counties in Southern California. And it is, um, it's a pop culture swap meet. It is a convention that happens three times a week. It's free for the public. And, uh, you know, definitely it's, it's a place where you see trends start, you see uh, where trends die, but it's a great, you know, it's a great place to be in the trenches to see what's going on in the comic market. So, so, so I have been going to Frankenstein's myself, you know, uh, 25 years. I know it's been around maybe 30 years. I, 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 Frankie, his dad, everybody there, they run a heck of an operation. Um, like Jimmy said, uh, it, it is a, uh, it's a pop culture, uh, just, just marketplace. I mean, uh, eight to 10 major aisles. It's in a, uh, uh, it, it's, it's an abandoned Sam's club, right? Or they took over. Well, a Sam's well, right. Club. They took over, they took over a Sam's club. So, I mean, if that gives you a, a, a visual of about how, you know, how big this place is. And I mean, if you really count on it, there's probably more vendors here than most comic conventions, other than of course, like the San Diego comic. Con. Yeah. I, I, I'm telling you, if you, when, if, if you are going to be in, Southern California, and you want to check out Frank and Sons, you can contact Jimmy and myself on our social medias at the end, and we'll tell you exactly how you should get there. It literally is a comic convention every Wednesday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday of every week, and it has been, and and, the, and Jimmy is one of the primo. Jimmy has the primo spot as a comic book guy. Uh, there's the most amazing toys, uh, uh, vintage toys, new toys, but the reason I'm saying this really the toy guys and let's 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 talk funko pop cuz now we're completely in 2020 i mean funko pop these uh hasbro legends figures um so so i was in there when i saw you recently and 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 i was looking to uh see if they had the latest deadpool movie with negasonic cuz we're 2 years out of uh deadpool 2 which uh, i can vouch for the fact that i created deadpool in 1990. So, uh, he, 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 his first issue arrived in your hands in 1991. Um, and, 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 and so, so he'll be 30 here coming up, but he is one of the darlings of the nineties as is, of course, as we've already said, Venom. And, uh, I was checking 
because they've put a two pack out from Deadpool 2. Cable and Domino, Zazie Beats, and Josh Brolin as Cable have already uh, appeared and, and and been on the the been on the shelves. But but I'm I'm going to tell you when I when I saw you the other night, Jimmy, uh, the Cable was nowhere to be found, and and up and down ten different aisles, one person had a Zazie Beats Domino Cable. Nobody has it. When they have it, they're selling them. They're they're blowing them out. Um, I was there looking for Deadpool and Negasonic. Uh, again, uh, Disney did not turn the, the the marketing machine on for the Fox films, um, which were really so much 80s and 90s love pouring out. But the thing is, nobody had the Deadpool Negasonic yet. And that's, that's uh, you know, I, I always go up and down the aisles, but everything I see on the aisles, I mean, the Deadpool Legends... I think it's his fourth line. He has his own line at figures are the hottest. To- Nobody has them. There's a couple of them out of the, out of the, uh, out of the box isolated in the glass cases. And that entire set is super mega red hot. And if you're listening and you're a toy person, you know what I'm talking about because it's the build a juggernaut figure. And, and literally like the guys who are talking to me are like, they've never been more excited. And the juggernaut is the juggernaut from Deadpool two. My, my, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to paint here with my words is this is all tethered to the 1990s. And, and when I asked one of the guys, I said, Hey, do you have Deadpool and Negasonic? And he goes, no, man, that stuff is so hot. And I said, yeah, Marvel legends is just smoking. He goes, Oh dude, don't even get me started. Venom pool. The build of Venom pool figure is what everybody's already asking about. And, and, and so now you're mixing and matching two of the darlings of, the nineties. And again, getting back to your table, I've seen it. I've seen people walk up. And, and the one thing that I can tell you, Jimmy went and his brother and their entire retail operation went hard on these omnibuses, probably five years back before I saw anybody. And Jimmy, I've never seen, uh, I mean, those are high price points. And I see people who I look at and I, at the eye test, they're 28 years old. Okay. So they were two in 1990. They, they want to grab this. I know I know. I have a nephew who's 18 years old who's consuming this stuff. I give him omnibuses. That, that's what he requests for on birthday and Christmas. And and and, and you, you're selling venom and carnage, you know, and I, I see the stuff that you're moving. I'm there. I'm witnessing it. Yeah, it, it's I mean, it goes without saying it's it's that these are the characters that are really resonating. I also think this is the last era that. This was the last era to me. It seems that Marvel really made a conscious, uh, conscientious effort to create all these new characters and debut these new characters. And granted, it's not an easy button that that Marvel hits and and these characters pop out. We've talked about that before, and but it seems like that you really started. I, I think you really started an arms race. I mean, listening to the last couple of podcasts, and you were going in, you know, as a young buck. You know, you're negotiating your deals. You were making sure that, you know, that Cable, you know, Cable, you know, made its debut in in the New Mutants. But it seemed like, especially with 98, it was like game on. I am showing, I'm showing, you're flexing. I'm showing the world what I got. But you also were motivated because, again, you don't have the Wolverine. You don't have, you know, you don't have, you know, the X-Men moniker, something with an X in the title. And you don't have, you know, Spider-Man webs and, um, you know, that going for you. So, granted, you have to, to to create your own toys in the sandbox. But it seems like that was the, 
that was the domino, sorry for the pun, that was the domino that really set things off. And it became an arms race because now it's like all of a sudden, it's like in the pages of X-Men, there is a, you know, a, a cable knockoff called Bishop. And there's another cable, you know, knockoff called Maverick. And there's another, you know, you know, there's a, you know, there's another new villain, you know, with Omega Red. So it seems like the X-Books definitely, you know, definitely took a cue. And it seemed as if that that Marvel sent, a, you know, a memo out to, you know, every editorial department saying, hey, we need to create new characters. We need to be like the New Mutants uh, and X-Force. I mean, is there any truth to this? Because, I mean, from the outside from the outside, it was very exciting because, again, all these new these new concepts were um, were rolling out, or older you know older properties were getting you know were getting refurbished. But it just really seemed like it it started in 1990 with New Mutants. So so, so before I get to that, I want I want to ask you specifically, how old were you in 1990? In 1990, I was a junior in high school. So everything, okay. everything rings when, when, you know, where were you in 1991? Okay. I was a good student. I was, a, you know, I mean, I was diligent. I, I, you know, I was the, the, you know, took all my SAT prep classes, everything like that. And I mean, man, I mean, I was, you know, Mr. 4.0, you know, straight edge kid in high school and uh, me acting out was I mean I remember you know cutting class as a senior to uh, to pick up New Mutants 100 because man I had to I had to have that issue and the same day um, X Men 275 came out with a crazy gatefold cover um, by you know by Jim Lee um, so I mean I remember you know where I was and I mean I I mean when each of these issues came out. And it's like those were monumentous occasions for me. So again, I'm you know I'm this high school kid, and this is New Mutants '87 was the real kick in the pants for me, to to up my ante in in collecting more comics. I was I was definitely a weekend warrior. Excuse me, a weekly warrior at this time. But when uh, when that book came out, it made me chase down number 86 and by the time you know like like 92 93 came out i mean i remember looking for you know for all your books in the back issues you know back issue bins i discovered then the x-factor fill-ins i looked at your x-men fill-ins you know out of my own collection and i noticed that this this you know young kid rob liefeld who's only a few years older than me. And my mom thinks that is hilarious. Oh, you know, he's just like you, Jimmy. She has no idea who you are at this point. But I mean, again, she, she thought this was funny that there was a, a kid who was only a few years older than me, who was actually creating this stuff. So it became a fun, you know, a fun family thing of, of tracking down all these, all these comics. And, and it was definitely a, look for the rookie and i put that in quotes you know these rookie appearances you know any of your fill-in appearances this was like you know tracking down a, a rookie sports card and and it, like the collectible market was buzzing at this time i mean again because of the 80 sports card you know buzz but i was always a comic book guy so, so it's so it's interesting you, you said you were a junior in high school and, and like okay so there there's there's a twitter handle I follow called uh, the spinner rack. I think the, the, the 
actual uh the actual it's called rack spinner but it's also called the spinner rack and i and every day it, it it posts different books that came out um sometimes they're the 90s mostly they're the, the bronze age stuff that i grew up with and uh today they had or at the time of this recording they had uh uh, a bunch of books, Jimmy, that I, I immediately, it hit me like a jolt. I, I got them at the U Totem on Ball Road and Euclid. And uh, it was X-Men. Uh, uh, one, uh, let, me, let me see. Uh, X-Men 138, the Wendigo, Wendigo issue. Avengers 202 by George Perez and a Spider-Man annual by Frank Miller. And it jolted me. And I immediately, 1980, okay on September, whatever this day is. And then, okay, I'm 12. And it's funny. I, I put out like one of those kind of, you know, talking point mixer or whatever question I put out on, on, I think maybe Facebook or Twitter the other day about stuff that you liked when you were a kid and Len Wein's widow, she's lovely. She chimed in and said, it's 12. Everything you love was when you were 12. And, 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 and I'm telling you, and then on another group, we were talking about your favorite year and, and, and my buddy who's in the entertainment industry he chimes in and he goes, well, it had, to, it, this is my favorite year, 1984. Cause I was 12 and, and I know you weren't 12 when you were a junior, but I do believe that that there's a, there's a zone there that if you hit and connect with somebody and it carries you the rest of your life, cause, cause those memories you make as a kid, I go back to star Wars, 1977, nine years old, but um, like literally like I, I go, I mean, I, I own pages from X-Men 138. I mean, I, 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 th that book is precious to me. Wolverine, the brown costume and just um, uh, amazing, fantastic memories that you make when you're a certain age. And, and, you know, as I've learned doing these nineties podcasts from heroes reborn to, to now where we're knocking on the door and we're walking right through 1990. So many people who are contacting me were 10 they were nine, they were 12, they're 13, you know, and, and, uh, and then you create that bond, uh, with them, you know, over time, I'll never know what it was like to, to, to see star Wars as an adult for the first time, or to get Michael Jackson's thriller as an adult, because I was a kid yeah, and, and, and there's, there's, there's some sort of, you know, connection that we, that we get. Now I understand that, that there's anything can make you a kid. You can, you can experience a movie or a comic and it, it can make you feel like a kid for the first time. It doesn't have to be semi, you know, nostalgic, but the, I, I know when I was with Jim Valentino and I shared a studio with him, his eyes would light up about Kirby's fantastic four, because unlike me, he pulled those off his spinner rack. He was pulling Stan and Jack comics because Jim is quite, you know, a, more than a decade older than I am, which would put him right there in that zone. And I know I'm going all over the place here, but it's interesting. Um, you know, again, you're, you're a junior and, you know, and, and I'm 22 at the time. Say what? But then nostalgia is a powerful thing, but it's also, it's interesting for me that I remember about three or four years ago, I reread this, the new mutants run and I scratched my head and I said, wow, there is a, a hot brand new rookie breaking in. And if he was doing this work right now, that would kick my ass and that would make me a fan all over again. And I, you know, I just wish that we would see a new crop of L boys, you know, whether it's, 
you know, a new crop of L boys popping up. And instead, you know, these, you know, the young guns generation that, you know, Marvel rolls out every few years of the young guns, they're all a bunch of old dudes and all guys that have been working in the industry for, you know, for several years, there's very few rookies out there or, you know, young talent that, that, you know, knocks me on my butt and go, wow, they were doing pro-am work, you know, just two years ago, three years ago, and now they are, are lighting up the charts. And I felt that as, you know, as a kid, you know, as, you know, that's the, that's the connection of nostalgia. But I also thought that when, again, just a few years ago, when I was revisiting this, that it has staying power. And because it does have that staying power, that I think that you don't necessarily have to be, you know, a junior in high school in 1990 or a senior in high school in 91, graduating in 1991. That's why you have people like your nephew that, you know, that gravitated to this. You have, there's a, there was a, a gal who works on our a staff at Amazing Comic Con that, I mean, she was blown away. She's, you know, 30 years old and she was blown away by New Mutants. And I was like, really? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I questioned the validity to it and she answered all the questions and I'm like, all right, you have your nerd cred, you know, like, I don't need to, you know, I don't, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to, to, to quiz you anymore. But I think it's like, if, if the quality wasn't there, you wouldn't have new generations. And I guess this is the point. You wouldn't have new generations rediscovering the work over and over and over again. And granted it's the, you know, the pop culture, t- you know, tethers and, and, you know, the Deadpool movies, all that helps but and of course, you know, drives things. But at the same time, I mean, you know, we're talking comics. And I think that these comics definitely speak to people, whether they discovered it in 1990, whether they did, discovered it in 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 the 2000s. So, or whether so they you, had, you were talking about the arms race um, with characters. And I'm not it's interesting you put it like that. Again, Jimmy, I, I was doing what I had to do because, um, look, man, I, I, I cannot. So, so without even thinking about it, what I said a minute ago about 1980 and 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 Wolverine uh, X Men one one thirty eight um, one thirty nine whatever it was it's it's uh it's the it's the the one to go brown costume uh, Wolverine Jimmy Wolverine to, to my generation was he was the character he was as I've discussed so much you know he wasn't even supposed to be the broke yet breakout character, but he became the breakout character and he sold a lot of books. He got a lot of eyeballs and it helped elevate all the new. And when you think about it, the X-Men got its second lease on life when they completely hard rebooted hard reboot. And you know, it's, it is funny. I, I I've, I've talked before. You just don't understand how completely impotent. And I mean, impotent the original X-Men lineup was when you have to understand giant size X-Men was launched after you know Marvel was doing the 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 X-Men comic book in reprints for 4 years just to keep the copyright going the act you know you'd pick it up and it was you know some some reprint from earlier in the 60s because Cyclops Gene Iceman Angel Beast they're just boring they were boring i remember Roy Thomas giving an interview going i put Neil Adams on this book the best artist in the business uh and couldn't couldn't move the needle it's because it's not always the art it's 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 what is this character doing this mystery and and so i had grown up on wolverine but you know wolverine was 
far and away the number one character. And if you got to draw him, you know, that was a big deal. And Mark Silvestri had drawn a fantastic Wolverine and the sexiest X-Men women that, that had ever been. They, they, you know, like I said, I looked at that issue the other day that they go shopping, um, which was right around my fill-in issue, uh, maybe right before Storm, Dazzler, Jubilee, Rogue. I mean, that it, Chris, it was kind of a fetish issue because it's just literally them walking around a mall, trying on clothes and like having a mall day. It was like an episode of Sex in the City. But Mark drew the, the crap out of it because he drew the most beautiful women, their gestures, their faces, their hair. Um, so, but, oh, but I mean, Jim, like, put it this way. Rogue was never hot. Okay, yeah. especially those like John Romita Jr. issues and everything oh, like that. yeah. I mean, she is not an attractive female character. Yeah. I always figured that she was kind of like, you know, the, you know, uh, ugly, you know, you know, you know, on the wrong side of the tracks type of girl, yes. you know, like, you know, you know, rough around the edges. When Mark drew her, you know, she is a bombshell. Yeah, she's naked with, uh, with Wolf. They're both naked fighting against the, the, the Genosians, you know? And, and, and you're like, wow, Wolver like, broke now has no clothes on as a kid. And when I grabbed that, I'm like 20 years old. So I'm like, wow, the X-Men's you know, I bought original pages out of that issue because I, I, and, and you that, can't even imagine that. encountering that issue when I was 12. I can't even, I mean, I remember J John Byrne was really, you know, vamping the women up in 1980 with storm and Jean gray. Um, and then, and I remember like going, wow, these are, you know, really, uh, th they've been vamped up and, and what Mark did with rogue and, and, and storm and dazzler. I mean, I'll say the same thing about dazzler. Dazzler had never been more stunning, but it, it was weird. Cause I think Chris was bored with Wolverine really wasn't into him. It had, it had been so much. John Byrne loved Wolverine and Paul Smith loved Wolverine and Jim Lee loved Wolverine. And even Todd knew the power of Wolverine because he put him in Spider-Man for like a six issue arc against the Wendigo. I mean, how weird that that 1980 issue is, has got so many tethers into this, everything we're talking about right now. But I, Jimmy, I didn't have Wolverine. And I keep looking. New Mutants was a dumpster fire. The older I get, the less apologetic I am. You get those books, you know. Uh, uh, you know, I never even got to the 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 wonder of Bird Boy. And if you don't even know who Bird Boy is, you need to go check out the issues of the, the book. Was the furthest thing from i believe commercially constructed it was it was like it was like this uh it was kind of an artistically indulgent book it, it didn't seem like it wanted to be anything other than this meandering teenager book and you understand the reason i negotiated everything that i negotiated in order to get cable into that book is because jimmy i needed i needed a breakout i i needed a breakout to compete because again i'm i'm competing with are, you know, guys who have the big top, you know, powerhouse sellers. Yeah. I mean, because between Bird Boy, Bird Boy and these Doug Ramsey issues, I mean, and as a kid, yeah. I couldn't relate to Doug Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Great. Speaks a bunch of languages. That's not visual. Sorry, Doug Ramsey fans. Yeah, me neither. And and so it was really so again, it was really hard. I mean, I I, I remember actually ditching that title I, I like the butch guys issues you know i stuck around for a little bit but it's like at bird boy i i had to throw on the white towel now and i and i i jumped back on 
of course, when I saw the cover to 87 in, in, I cracked up during the, the podcast with it's a macho show. It's a macho yeah. show because, okay. Because all of a sudden, okay. This book became a macho, a macho comic. I mean, so I, you know, I relate. It seemed like very much like Cobra Kai. Okay. I'm digging Cobra Kai so much right now on, uh, on Netflix. I watched it when it was on YouTube red, but it's like everybody that I could, I could, you know, push Cobra Kai on it's, it's, I have, I'm a huge fan, but what I do, what I liked about it is, is especially the, the William Zabka character coming back and, you know, he, you know, he wants to make these kids, you know, not so, so whiny and, you know, and he says all the all the things that I think that there's an there's you know that maybe speaks to me on an id level. I don't know, but it's like you know that's how I felt like Cable was was you know dressing down you know Cannonball. I'm gonna make you a man. Um, it was very it was very macho. It's like kind of like if you don't have anything to contribute, you're off the team. If you do, you know, Shatterstar, whatever. It's like you know you you can roll with us. And I really liked, I mean, it was very much this Cobra Kai approach to, you know, strike hard, strike fast. Um, that honestly, Jimmy, that blows me away. I, I, I completely see that, 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 that Cable is Johnny Lawrence uh, with, with, with uh, Miguel and Hawk and, and recruiting them and, 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 and the trajectory. Because, you know, I, I, just, I, I just knew that Sam, I, I felt like he was drawn very character, caricaturish as a caricature and, and with his big ears and look, you know, we've all known the girl, the ugly duckling that became the swan. I've, you know, there are guys who I went to high school with who later became, you know, supermodels. And I'm like, you, we've all had those. They're, they're, people don't peak in high school and, and, and not all people, a lot of people don't peak in high school. So I was, I, I literally said, look, I want to change the way Sam looks visually. He's goofy looking. And and you'll notice over the course of my drawing him, I absolutely kind of hone him, dial down the nose and the ears, and 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 make him more of a handsome guy. But also he is learning, and he butts up against Cable. I, I'm going to tell you, I'm getting ahead of this, but the other thing with Cable, like you know, uh, as, as I pointed out, I was not going to let anything significant happen with the character until I was able to write the stories. And really, the writer and I worked on, you know, six issues. Um, you know, we never had a single, it, 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 uh, we never had a single discussion about Cable. This is the interesting part. Like, this is the thing that, that there, there is no, um, again, back then, to make a long distance phone call to the East Coast, you know, later I said, oh, you know, people would tell me you should get that written off, you know, by Marvel uh, as a business expense or, or, or claim it as your taxes. Hey, when you're, when you're living in an apartment, living check to check, I mean, Here's what people have to know on the new mutants. I'm probably making, you know, uh, $200 a page. Okay. So I'm doing 22 pages. I'm making $4,400, you know, um, you, you know, an issue. Um, and that's good for a kid in 19, you know, 1988, 89, 1989, uh, was when I started on the book and, and, but, but it's not, you know, bottom line, uh, hitting a monthly deadline. I'm in the $60,000, $65,000 a year. Um, so it's not like I'm swimming in it. Everything is dependent on whether I can hit that royalty threshold. Mark Silvestri's page rate did not buy him his silver Porsche in his house in Malibu. And and, I've, and, and again, uh, another thing, and I really uh, uh, 
give it to Todd. Todd was a great coach. I've, I've said he's one of the best coaches. It, it's weird. Like Valentino would tutor me, uh, with, with point me in a lot of great directions for storytelling and, and to admire maybe different art that I wasn't looking at uh, naturally. And, and But Todd was the business guy where he was like, you need to ask, you need to tell me you want to ink yourself. You'll make more money on royalties. You need to you know, write the book. You'll make more money on royalties. Everything Todd had really had the, he broke down. He's the only guy who ever broke down the royalty structure to me. And, uh, and then because I had heard about creators royalties, I did start poking around about that in regards to what do you get if you create a character? How much participation do you have? And that was a real revelation, you know, for me as well, but I'm just trying to plant trees that will grow and take me, you know, to the next level. I'm Jack and my bag of beans. And, and I'm hoping one of them is a beanstalk, Jimmy. And I can remember it like it was yesterday, like it was yesterday when I'm doing this, but I never spoke to the writer. We didn't talk. We had, we had one casual conversation and it's not like I'm dialing up a New York, you know, I, I can't be right. spending hundreds, not- hundreds of dollars on phone bills. Yeah. It's not, it's not like these, like any, you know, call any time cell phone plans, you know, that we have now that we take so for granted, but, but or in Skype call or anything else. I mean, it was a big deal to make these long distance calls. No, I, it was, I really, it was, we, it, it was a different cost structure, uh, everybody. And, and, and we have such a great audience and, and they get it. There's so many people listening right now who goes, Nope, I understand. I was there rotary phones. Um, no cell phones yet. The, the, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. In New Mutants 99, okay, I've sent in these pages with cable with spectacles on, and he's in a vest and a, and a tie and a dress shirt, and he's reading books in the library. And Bob Harris calls me. I, these are finished pages. I pencil inked them, sent them in, and Sam and Cable have it out in the library. And Bob goes, what are you doing here? What are you doing? What? I, I, I'm not getting – I'm not fe- – this, this is how Bob talks. I'm, I'm not feeling this. I'm not feeling this. this is how you've got – you know, cable. I go. I want to show that he is a refined man. It, it, it should be shocking to you that this guy you've seen only in paramilitary gear, um, and and giant tech guns and Michelin Man weird, you know, tubular outfits. Because he doesn't get the so he doesn't get the shoulder pads until X Force. He doesn't get the big, big, big singular shoulder pads. Um, you know, until or maybe the cover of New Mutants One Hundred. But the thing is. I'm like, Bob, you got to let this stay in. Cause I, I, he was really pushing me to like maybe redo it. And I said, no, 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 let me do this. He's, I wanted you to see him as Reed Richards. I want you to see him right here for his mind and how intelligent he is and that he's a refined guy who is reading books in the library and a visual tells much more than a thousand words. And that picture of him, those pages when he argues with Sam, and again, I'm refined Sam, Sam is getting more semi-commercial attractive. Um, Again, Jimmy, we're just trying to build our audience out. I, I say this from my panels, and I've done so many panels at your show, but people always say, what was your inspiration for these characters? And I'm like, paying rent? Um, uh, no, paying okay. bills? And when you, when you mentioned that that you need to do this for your family, I mean, I, I really, I mean, it, it dawned on me that it's like if, if New Mutants doesn't turn into X-Force with a number one, you're you know you are slugging it out doing monthly comics on 
you know, a variety of different titles. I mean, it's a sliding, sliding doors mentality like that. Image doesn't happen and image doesn't happen. And you are finding ways to, to grind it out and, and help out your folks with, uh, with, you know, with, you know, paying for the condo. Well, nowadays, you know what I hear on social media all the time is, oh man, this guy is creating a book that is going to be, that is a pitch for a Netflix show or it's a pitch for a movie. Let me tell you something. Nobody was making comics as pitches in 1989. Okay. Like just, you have to understand independent comics were a real stretch in that you really had to believe in yourself and want to do that um, particular indie book. Uh, which was probably going to be harder to make money on, which is why there were so few of them. Um, And when a couple of them worked and it was based on funny animals, like based on turtles and radioactive hamsters and all that stuff that, that that's people trying to cash in on a fad, you know, definitely the turtles had people who imitated them that the, those independent books aren't really what I'm talking about because none of them had really staying power other than the turtles. But when you're working for Marvel and DC, you're just trying to keep your sales up so they don't fire you. Because there's turnover, man. There's turnover. People were, you know, there's a reason Todd got Spider-Man and I got New Mutants and Jim took over the major reigns on X-Men. You know, people lose their jobs and then you're told, you know, make this work, sell better. And and so, again, I I think... um, you know, the great thing about the, the doing this show is that the feedback I get from people who are there at the time, many of them at at Marvel, who are laughing as I'm recounting this, verifying every step of the way, the, the, the craziness of that time. But, you know, um, it's just interesting what David Michelini, who is the guy who wrote Amazing Spider-Man while Todd was drawing it, he did a long diatribe. If you can, uh, uh, when Venom, the movie came out, he really, you and I discussed this. It was posted publicly. You can Google it, Bleeding Cool. All these different sites covered it. He really finds umbrage, takes umbrage with the fact that there is a uh, a shared creator status when he's like, I created these characters, Scott Lang, you know, Ant-Man. That was, you know, the, the, the new Ant-Man, the, the, the Paul Rudd Ant-Man, you know, because some people may not know specifically Hank Pym had been, Ant-Man up until, you know, 1979 when Scott Lang takes over and, uh, and, 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 and Michelini was a, he was a dynamo, man. He created a ton of characters, but whether it was Venom and, and I'll, I'll full stop right now, when Todd and Eric left X left, left Spider-Man, Jimmy, I never picked it up again. I don't care who took over. Uh, I, I was a fan of those guys and those guys art. And, and I thought Michelini had written some great stories. Uh, he, he, he wrote some of my favorite Avengers issues with George Perez and John Byrne as a kid. He, the Iron Man run he did with Bob Layton is legendary. Um, but he wrote a thing about being the originator of a character. And he was saying like, he, he thinks it's interesting that a, a, a character that he puts on paper very specifically, and I am not aware of this origin of, you know, of, of Venom at all. All I know is that if Todd drew it from his story, then Todd is the guy who produced the visuals. Where the interesting thing is, is if Todd had walked in with Venom, with the name, with the visual, as I did with Cable and the backstory, and and again, I would do this over with Deadpool and all these others. You walk in, you negotiate, you agree to bring it in. Marvel had a practice put in place 
by a writer editor, okay, Tom DeFalco. God bless him, sweet guy. But he implemented this system. Specifically, he did this, where whoever touched the book's first appearance got a participation with them. Because like I said, with cable, I've always just thought it's hilarious. Literally, I am telling you, and, and, and this is a matter of absolute fact, that I did not discuss the creation, formation uh, of cable with the writer at all, on any level. Uh, I spoke only to my editor, cleared everything with him, got cable put in the book, was told I'd be taking over the book within six, seven issues, right after the crossover, I'm on the book. So I'm cables introduced in 87. I am now writing the book in 98. Um, and, you know, again, there's a three issue crossover that was pre-negotiated that I participated in very little, but bottom line, now we're off to the races. Now cables cooking, but in Marvel's, um, in Marvel's scheme of things, you know, Tom DeFalco created the new warriors. The new warriors appeared in Thor first. And I believe that Tom DeFalco and Ron friends are credited as the creator of the new warriors because they didn't do new warriors. Number one or two or three or four or five. Right. I'm pretty sure. Um, no, right. They, they, handed, did, they handed the baton off to the next yeah. guys. And, 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 and so again, it's this clever system that always rewarded whoever was joining you, even when you're like, Hey man, like what, how is this a shared creatorship? And this isn't a gripe. You guys have lived with this for a million years, but it is absolutely a very interesting, um, uh, uh, you know, diatribe, uh, that you can, you can come across in, and, and I've seen a couple editors who have weighed in on this recently because this was a topic on social media saying, you know, he, one of them said, I really do like what Michelini said about the originator status, but I'm not here to debate it. I'm just like literally telling you like, look, cable arrived. He started to take greater shape. Once I started writing the book, um, we, we varied him up. I mean, even in 98, his hand cocks back and he blasts out of his wrist, which he hadn't done yet. I, I had all so many more tricks up my sleeve that I was holding on to, but I definitely do believe, and you mentioned Bob Harris would call me. Now, I, I actually think Bishop is a cool character, but Bob knew. He knew. He called me up and he said, hey, Rob, got a minute? And I said, sure. And he goes, hey, I just want to let you know that in the X-Men, uh, Jim and Wills are introducing a, a, a guy from the future, a, a cop from the future. He's got big guns. Now he's black, whereas Cable is white. So we, we feel like that's totally different. And he's coming from a different timeline, but you need to be appraised of this because it's kind of, you know, in the territory that you're in. I appreciated the heads up, knew I couldn't do anything to stop it. The one thing that, that if you're getting that call, that character is inevitable. And I never wanted to be the guy who protested and tried to, who, Hey, you know, I, tr stop that. Stop that. I, I believe in competition. I think Bishop, the minute I heard the name, I thought it was a great name, you know, and Wills, I've talked to Wills, Wills, uh, tells me that, you know, again, Bishop came from his mind. He created Bishop. He created the name, the look, the backstory, but he doesn't get a sole creator status on Bishop either in the same way that I'm telling you about the cable stuff. Because again, there's this, this policy that Marvel had that if, you know, somebody else, uh, whoever's name is on that book with you while you're producing that work, whether they were involved at all, you know, uh, they share it over at DC. I remember 
Like I knew Eric Larson on Doom Patrol. He had had in his sketchbook, he had told me on the convention circuit, he had a character called Shrapnel. Shrapnel is rad. Um, I mean, what a great name, great concept. All this shrapnel stuck to his body and he can hurl it at you and it's it's great. Um, that's Eric's character. He created it. But Paul Kupperberg wrote that issue. I'm not sure how DC's policies are, but I think they reflect Marvel's. So Eric puts a character in the book and then Paul Kupperberg gets a piece of it because for no damn good reason. Eric provided the origin, the impetus, the name, the visual. I'm telling you, man, comics is a funny industry. Um, and and but 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 I do believe once characters, you said it was a it was the beginning of this new age of characters, and it was. So so Jimmy, check check this out. This this is interesting. As I was at your table, and you were telling me that the biggest book in the market right now, and it has been for the longest time, is Venom. And I know Venom's had his other, his title before, and uh, but it's never been like this. And it feels, and what I mean by like this, like every issue appearance printing of Venom for the last two years has just been, not, you know, rock solid. I know Donny Cates is at the forefront of this. Uh, he's he's got some great artists. He's got Ryan Stegman. He's got Yvonne Coelho, who I have I probably butchered that name, but he is a really sweet kid gave me a killer venom at, at new york comic-con last year but um that the thing is venom like you said is is huge and then you you've told me fandom has told me this this null character right so they've expanded the symbiote which we you and i the symbiote was the black costume in secret wars um that climbed on top of spider-man and and donnie is expanding this and 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 there's a dark lord that created the symbiote to help me out. Yeah, it, it well, it seems like that that Donnie is is connecting a lot of dots that were laid out in the Marvel universe between between the black suit. You know, we you know we know that that goop came on on Peter Parker when he stuck his head into that that crazy Kirby looking machine in, in Secret Wars, but a few years back. Um, uh, there's a, a character called Newell that that slugged it out with with Thor uh, in Jason Aaron's Thor, the Mighty Thor, and there were and it was a you know cosmic character, and and there were there's basically he was fighting a bunch of symbiotes. He didn't call them symbiotes, but uh, he was fighting these these black alien you know you know demonic looking creatures. And it seems like Donnie Cates then, you know, took a little bit from column A and a little bit of column B, and that's his run of of Venom. And man, I'm telling you, it seems like that is Venom has turned from being a you know spin-off villain to an anti-character, you know, an anti-hero, you know, book, a guy who has mini-series and stuff like that, to his title under Donnie Cates is the center of the Marvel universe. Or so it appears right now. Yeah, no, I can tell. Like I said, I can tell. I get to your table. I see people fighting for these Venom, you know, 24, 25, 26, 27 new appearances, you know, and then, uh, and and you you said his name's Newell. See, I didn't even say it right. I you called know, it's, 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 it's K-N-U-L-L. Um, maybe maybe it, Donnie can tell it, us how it's so pronounced. It's funny because it's like when you read these things, it, it's like, you know, there, there's not a pronunciation guide. Okay, and Jimmy, did you also tell me that 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 character's first appearance is in Thor with Jason Aaron? Yeah. 
So he he slugged it out with Thor. And then it's kind of funny because it's like also they, they created these necro swords and stuff like that. And it seems like those are popping up in uh, in Hickman's run of, of, you know, Sword of X. So, I mean, it seems like that, that again, that these writers are are all borrowing each other's, you know, elements of each other's runs. The uh, look, I, I I think Donnie is is really adept at 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 uh, you know hook, hooking his readers in. He 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 writes really great you know cliffhangers and twists and turns and you know twists and turns is what I hung my hat on. So I, I respect that with with Strife and later Domino and Deadpool and I mean Cable himself. But and, and here's the deal, man. And 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 when I look back at Claremont. And everything that he did, and, and and really, he was the inspirations for for everything that I was attempting to do because he had been so successful for so long. Now, my obviously favorite iteration of the X Men is with him and Byrne. I think they pushed each other. John Byrne says he fought to get a co writer credit because so much of what was happening was stuff that he was sharing. And here's something that people don't know: like we should break this down right now. Uh, getting to know George Perez as I did as a fan. And, and whether I was picking him up at the airport and taking him to the hotel or sitting by his table in San Diego, he would tell me that the way he and, uh, and, and Marv Wolfman uh, created their Teen Titans was Marvin George would have a uh, phone conversation. And they would talk the issue out. George would make the notes and George would begin penciling. And this is an exact mimic, according to Jack Kirby, of how he and Stan worked on Fantastic Four. That they would have a phone call. Um, Stan would say, I, I need a cosmic, you know, occurrence, or we want to go to the jungle. Jack, Jack's version is 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 even less specific input because George was very um very, very complimentary to a lot of the relational things that Marv wanted to pull off. And of course, you know, George had his own um input on on so much of the relational stuff too. But but they would Kirby really feels like Stan gave him a couple sentences like, this is what I want. And then Jack would turn an entire issue. And then I've seen on, you know, that, that whatever, I think there was a, there was some sort of auction show or some uh, that somebody had found like rare Kirby art. And, 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 and there was all these directions from Jack in the gutters, in the side gutters of the pages. And, and Stan would say, this is what I would then dialogue from. That is not how, myself and others were producing my book. I didn't get, I, as I said, I, when, when I took over, I spoke to no one about stories. I would hide them. Um, I didn't want, I, I had a specific vision. I had a clear outline. I had gotten that approved. Um, but there was these old time, old school guys that would talk over the phone and look, I, you know, Hawk and Dove, no one, no, no one called me on the phone and told me the stories. I got a sheet I got sheets that said, this is what happens on this panel and on this panel and this page. And I remember John Romita Jr. gave an interview when he was working with John Byrne on Iron Man that John Byrne would call John Romita Jr. up, they'd talk, and then that John wrote a one-page breakdown of everything he wanted in the issue. And John Romita Jr. goes, I prefer to work like this. It gives me so much to work with. I would write... New Mutants, X-Force, to this day, Snake Eyes, Major X, Deadpool, Bad Blood. I write it out. I, for myself, after clearing the parameters with the editor, 
And then I hand it off to somebody to do the word balloons and the dialogue based on the story. So there's just all different manners and methods of how these characters and these stories come to be. And the thing about Donnie, I truly believe, and this is, we both were raised on soap operas, whether it was nighttime soap operas or soap opera soap operas, because I'm going to tell you everything I did in New Mutants and X-Force, the Domino, Vanessa, Twist, Reveal, Tolliver, Strife, Cable. Dude, I was raised on a diet of Days of Our Lives and General Hospital. My mom and my sister, every summer, summer vacation, so for three months at Noon and at 2 p.m., I got one o'clock off because we didn't watch One Life to Live. But dude, Days of Our Lives in General Hospital and the summer of Luke and Laura with them on the run from the cops and they're falling in love. But people forget, man, a couple of years later on, on, on General Hospital in, at its peak, the highest viewership, dude, they had a giant f- laser gun that was fired into the sky that created snow in Port Charles all summer. And the bad guy was Baltar from Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica had been canceled. And now the guy who played Baltar was like this evil Cassidine. And and literally Luke, Laura, and this new secret agent guy named Scorpio, they all had to break, they had to travel to this island, all very James Bond, and get inside the facility and shut down the cannon. And literally, so you're watching General Hospital in July and it's snowing all the time. They got the snow powder coming down on them. I mean, Jimmy, I was raised on the biggest diet of, you know, soap operas. I mean, eventually vampires would be on Days of Our Lives because they figured this stuff worked. And I know you and I, dude, we bonded over our love of passions. 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 (laughs) So we are, we're a couple of soap opera guys and look, comic books are soap operas for men. And the minute you understand that, you know, and I felt like what Claremont understood was he wrote soap operas for men. And I think when he and Byrne were together, they were the best at it. Um, And again, this is all derived from all these different interviews where John would say, I wanted to go this way. And John went and Chris went this way. And then they had these giant disagreements and fallouts. And look, John won his showcase in one of these books. You know, I've got all these coffee table books that I pulled out that are celebrating all the ages. But the 90s is always featured with Cable and X-Force because it's such a staple. But uh, and, And they talk about one of them says Rob won his showcase. Well, John Byrne won his showcase and went on to do a five year run on Fantastic Four that is seen as important, as as instrumental, as as you know, impactful as Kirby's run. But Donnie gets the soap opera of it all. He gets it. But so everything that we've said about Venom, at some point, Jimmy, d- 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 are Jason Aaron and Donnie Cates now uh, creators of Venom? Like, you know, I'm sure that their supporters would like to make that case, but that's like, I'm sure that David Michelini and Todd McFarlane have something to say about that, right? But oh. it's- you know, of, of course. I mean, there is there are so many fathers of venom, and 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 all the different symbiotes, and this symbiote is like this symbiote, and I mean, it is a, I mean, it is a crazy family tree. Needless to say, and I mean, and talk about the the family elements. Venom also introduced um, Eddie Brock had like a long lost son, you know that you know that he never knew. I mean, again, these and he turns out to be you know another powerful, you know, 
you know, powerful factor with, you know, connection with the symbiotes. I mean, it is, it really does, you know, on the page and behind the page, there does seem to be crazy soap operas happening. I mean, they're really definitely extending this legacy. And like I said, I'm following it. And again, Venom is a bright, shining star of the 90s. And we're talking about 1990. And 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 it's interesting to see how much they're building out Venom. And, and now he comes from this, this giant Star-Lord. Not, not yeah, you the, know. Yeah, I mean, it's tying in also to Annihilation, which was, you know, the Abnett and Lanning, you know, Annihilation stories, you know, with the Wraith. And things like that. I mean, I mean, it is going in so many different directions. But I mean, you know, back to the original black costume. We never saw, you know, you know, these demons with these like large wings, you know, and and you know, like like opening up dimensions of hell basically in space. I mean, you know, these were never present. Look, I dig the stuff. I totally dig it. Um, it's just interesting as 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 this all continues to get built out, and and it's it's uh it's weird. I mean, that, look, today's writers are definitely taking bigger swings, and uh, than than maybe they had before. Because, like I said, there there's been Venom series. I've I've seen them, but I I, I just feel like at some point, you know, um, at what point do you get to stop adding on to you know a, a character? I, I look I look I look I look at Star Wars, perfect example, Star Wars. And at some point, you know, uh, how, how much do you continue to add to a character until you're like, well, I've, I've added enough that I'm part of this character's legacy now. And it's like, no, George Lucas created these characters. Let's just, let's just keep it over there. And, you know, it's just interesting to me how, how, how this continues to fan out. And I understand one thing I've understood, especially without my own three teenagers, again, everybody listening to this, I am in the throes of, well, I have a 20 year old, so he just turned 20, but then I have 18 and I have 16. So my entire life is teens and they teach me so much. They direct me towards stuff I probably wouldn't pay attention to, but also, you know, they want their own champions. You know, my son told me that dad, if LeBron wins with the Lakers, you know, I know it's not three and three. It's not three back to back and three back to back like Michael Jordan. But dad, if, if LeBron wins with the Lakers, he's better than 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 Michael Jordan. I want you to to concede that to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that that's not going to be happening. I believe it jumps LeBron in contention, huge. But he can't appreciate Jordan even with the documentary about Jordan because it was it's you got you have to be there, right? And the '90s was this you know, era of all these new bold characters. I, I, I spoke of Darkhawk and Sleepwalker. And, and I'm going to give my boy, Chad Bowers, uh, who has been scripting with me for five years now. Chad uh, did just the best scripting on Deadpool Bad Blood. He is crushing it on Snake Eyes with me on G.I. Joe. We have, you know, a lot more stuff we plan to do together. I love my, Chad's a really uh, very, he's a great writer. He wrote Youngblood for me, completely wrote it um, for, for a, a long time. And so 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 between Deadpool and the couple of years on Youngblood and G.I. Joe, I've gotten to know him really well. And he, like a couple other guys his age I know, they speak of Darkhawk and Sleepwalker in terms that like I don't share with them, but I get it. They were 
those were there, you know, to me, my generation, you know, my generation's dark Hawk is Richard Ryder Nova. Nova launched in 1976. It was Marvel's attempt to make another teen, another Spider-Man, a young character in high school dealing with superpowers. Marv Wolfman wrote it. John Buscema, you know, Carmen Fantino, great covers. Amazing. Loved Nova. Crushed me when they canceled Nova, but he has lived on ever since. And, and they've built him out. Um, but it's like, you know, another one, Jimmy, honestly, Carol Danvers. Okay. Roy Thomas introduces Carol Danvers, right? She's a security chief at NASA, at whatever space program. And she encounters the original Captain Marvel. Then they give her Marvel's powers. Jerry Conway launches, you know, Captain Marvel or Ms. Marvel in the seventies. I bought every issue. And again, again j- j- uh, I mean, literally just like Nova, John Buscema. It's like, it's like they wanted John Buscema drawing all their launch issues. Here, John, launch a new book for us. Draw the first couple issues of Nova. Draw the first couple issues of Ms. Marvel. And uh, and then it's handed yeah, off to Chris then, Claremont. And then, and, then, and then put it this way. Then you even had Chris Claremont jump in you yeah. know, and, and put her in a new costume. And and, and Dave Cockrum, who who Chris crushed it on with on the X-Men with, joins him. And and, and so they, they start, you know – uh, they, they do a couple issues, and then of course Ms. Marvel gets the plug pulled. Then Chris kind of further redefines her in some Avengers Annual, and and but then, you know, um, it help me out. Is it Jill Thompson who takes over the book, who who launches the book in the two thousands? Is, um, it's it's a female writer. That I'm blanking on, just like I, it could be a bl- male writer. I don't even, I don't even remember the artist at this point. But the new Captain Marvel comes out with her short haircut and the, what what she looks like in the movie, because you know both of those costumes probably aren't making it onto a movie screen. They're too Xanadu 1970s Charlie's Angels bikini, you know the way she was depicted, but in 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 Ms. Marvel, but uh, but like she's on set. Yeah, taking, no, that's it's, it's Kelly Sue. Okay, uh, so, Kelly so, Sue. So, so she's on set taking pictures with, um, with with Brie Larson in the cast, and you're like, and yet I'm 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 hanging out with Jerry Conway at the premiere of Captain Marvel, and I'm like, Jerry, oh my gosh, because again, now you're talking 10, 11, 12 strong memories, Jimmy. I know I was at Foodland when Claremont took over, and the new costume with the black sash. And Dave Cockrum, and it was like the brand new bold direction. I, I mean, I was in a different house. Uh, we moved in 1977, but in 1976, I was a different house. That was the liquor store. That's when I bought Ms. Marvel. And again, I'm like, Jerry Conway and Chris Claremont were like the authors of that. But suddenly now, so at some point, wait, wait, so, so who created Carol Danvers again? Like at some point, is it supposed to be this muddy? Does that benefit? Here's my question. Do, and being on the, in the inside of the beast, I can tell you, having signed the contracts, the creator contracts, my contracts with Marvel State, I am the creator of Deadpool. I'm the creator of Cable. Um, and and I was looking through, when I was looking through for my Fighting American documents and my Heroes Are Born, Jimmy, every check stub, every royalty statement are in multiple folders. And I, I, I mean, the amount of money that I was paid on cable and Deadpool through the 90s on action figures and trading cards and buttons and stickers and posters and comics is astronomical. It reinforces what I told you when I looked into the creator, the creator royalty, right? Now with this new character, Newell, I don't pretend to know. I don't pretend to know. 
it, it, how it gets split up between Jason Aaron, Donnie Cates, whoever, whoever visualized him, Ryan Stegman, you know, I don't, it's not none of my business, but based on what I know, it, it's, it's very interesting how they decide to split up the baby and, and divide, you know, the receipts. And, and so, so uh, creating characters, I am a testament. It can change your life. It can change your comic book. It can change your sales. Um, it's very interesting. And, and, but, but you know what, Jimmy, the other thing that changed in the nineties, other than characters is not only were a bunch of new artists that were great raised on John Byrne hitting and, and, and George Perez. And, and, and you know what, if you, if, if somebody has been listening to, to these podcasts where I talk about my own experience, and then I am one of the guys who becomes one of the guys that changes the comics industry. Um, you you got to understand and you, uh, hopefully you've put it together that Art Adams is like our, like our godfather, like, right. I mean, we're all more than John Byrne. We, we are all struck by Art Adams and, and he is in all of our work and what Art Adams did, whether he inked himself or often he got Terry Austin, he produced a certain clean line. And Jimmy, the one thing we were all going for was this clean line. And I'm telling you, man, my buddy and, and Marat, I know you listen to this and Marat and I were having a meaningful conversation the other day. And he's like, Rob, Todd, Todd's line work. What it is so important to his connection with the fans. And you know, Todd was inked by Bob McLeod. Todd was inked by Vinnie Coletta. Todd did. Todd was inked by Tony Dezaniga. Um, Todd didn't pop until he inked himself. And when he inked himself, his line art was crisp and clean. So yeah, Jimmy, I'm telling you right now, like when Todd inked Spider-Man and Hulk, it it was with, it was with the Croquil technical pens, no brushes, um, maybe just the brush to, to fill in the blacks, but, but that it was, it was crisp and it was a very designed to be very clean line as opposed to a dusty line. Uh, you can get a dusty line with a quill too, but we were all trying to somewhere between how um, Terry Austin inked everything and Art Adams inked himself. Uh, and, and and there were other guys like Barry Windsor Smith. He had kind of a cool stippling line that we were all trying to, to, to tag on. But but do you know what I'm talking about in terms of this line work? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you can, tell, you can tell the difference. I mean, it's just, you know, very visual that it's on. I mean, and I think that we talked about it before. It's it's a precise, um, it's a precise look, and it's tight, it's clean, it's uh, I mean, it's it's sharp, it's you know, it's sharp at times. Um, it's not you know, it's not too round. I you know, I, I again, if you if you point to it, you can tell the difference immediately. It it, it really was um, like when I when I think about what was going on in comments at the time. Uh, it, it, that, that line art was what was separating us. And here is, this is great. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you something. I have failed to bring this up in every single, uh, episode about the nineties, which is obviously where we're going to be here for a while. So Jimmy, what united Mark Silvestri, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, uh, Jim Valentino, Wolf Portacio, Scott Williams. Did I say Rob Liefeld? myself um art to bear okay do, do you know the answer what what is the answer uh the answer is the west coast oh, of we, course 
were, I remember Art Tiber and I, I had met Art Tiber, and some, some of you guys may see his name in comics, T-H-I-B-E-R-T. I assure you he has inked some of your favorite comics. He inked over Jim Lee on X-Men. He inked Dan Jurgens. He's uh, He did a book for me at Extreme called Black and White. He's still doing um, issues of Black and White now. Um, he inked over uh, 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 the, the, the Spider-Man reboot, Ultimate Spider-Man Forever. Um, I, Art, and I dug, I dug his... Uh, I, where I got really into him is that he was doing all of the, the X factors with, with Wills. With yes. Oh, the work he did with Wills was phenomenal. I met art on the convention scene as a teenager in the mid eighties. He was looking to break in as an inker um, and as an artist. And, and uh, we, we chatted up. We were two, you know, he's, he's probably five years older than me. So, so, you know, I'm 15, he's 20, whatever we, we, you know, talent recognized talent. We hung out. We, 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 you know, um, we, 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 we talked comics, our aspirations. We were in Orange County, but neither of us had anything to show for it because we were too young. Um, by 1990, you know, he's been inking. He, he broke in about a year before me officially and uh, was one of the guys, I can say it now, was one of the guys that turned out Hawk and Dove. He didn't want to do it. He was one of the guys they wanted to do, they being the editor, wanted to do and he was kind of like the last guy before me once he said no he picked a different um i think time masters was the series he picked instead it opened up for me to do hawk and dove and i'm very grateful but um i would he had a really cool pad down in huntington beach and i would go watch him ink and draw and again re really long time relationship with art and at one point in he came over to my studio one day and he was bringing some pages because he had inked a cover over me on New Mutants. Uh, it was one of those Extinction Agenda covers with Cable and and uh, and Beast. Now it's going to bother me. I, I think it's ninety. I think it's ninety five. I think it's the cover to ninety five. Um, ninety six, ninety seven. I think it's ninety six. It's 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 New Mutants ninety six. It's such a. I love that cover. We we jammed together. He he again. He was the king. He was a guy who started off inking with brush, and then he saw that. Uh, whether Quill was faster or was uh, more, um, you know, uh, uh, commercial, but what people were looking for, he adopted it. He comes into my office one day and he goes, hey, do you know what they're calling us? And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, they're, they're calling like all of us, like the West Coast mafia. And I thought that was funny. I, I, I you know, because it, it sounded so rap, but the truth of the matter, Jimmy, is, and this may be the most important thing about this time, screw everything else, how many people are jumping on Venom and how many mommies and daddies that, that, that Carol Danvers has. This, up until this point, Jimmy, George Perez lives in New York. John Byrne lives in Connecticut, from Canada to, Connect, you know, to Connecticut. Frank Miller lives in New York. Walt Simonson lives in New York. Howard Chicken lives in New York. Everything is New York. Jack Kirby in his last run at Marvel had moved out to Thousand Oaks and was the straddling animation and, and, and comics, you know, from the West Coast. But, but it was a totally East Coast operation. Guys walked their pages in. And, but now with FedEx and overnight shipping, suddenly Mark is in Southern California. I'm in Southern California. Art Tiber is in Southern California. Jim Valentino's in Southern California. Eric Larson's in Northern California. Todd is in Vancouver. Jim Lee, Wolf Portacio, and Scott Williams are in San Diego. So we are up and down 
the 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 West Coast, we are now the guys getting all the plum assignments and making the noise. And I'm telling you, man, there was some unease because they knew that we all talked to each other, but they didn't have the kind of, you know, hey, come on in and, and hang on the couch and let's chat. That was gone. Like it, we were now, and we would all see each other and we would all talk. But the West Coast guys, the, the power shift in comics completely, completely moved to the West Coast. And and, and it had, it, it, it changed everything because we, well, it seems, I mean, just, just from you relating that, it seems like the power shifted outside of a, you know, outside of a bullpen or outside of an editor's office. So, I mean, now when, you know, perhaps when you are, you know, negotiating your deals with, with cable and you are taking offers on, on all those other, all those other books, whether it's the Hulk, whether it's, Doctor Strange, other other things like that. When you are when you're negotiating these things, it's not like the I guess it's not like and I'm putting this in air quotes. It's not like the good old days where you know where you would come in and hang out in the office and sit on a couch and you know chew it over back and forth. So I mean I'm sure that this jolted their system. That you know that that I mean in no way shape or form you know young you know young Robbie Liefeld negotiating. I'm sure ruffled a lot of feathers because it's like this was a different world and it, the world was changing, you know, completely because it wasn't about, you know, being in a, you know, in this bullpen or in this, you know, in this, uh, you know, you know, very genteel, you know, you come in and, you know, you, you know, you talk shop, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And, and again, again, the talk shop was over. It was done because again, we, you know, the one time I went to visit, uh, 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 you know, the, the Marvel offices in New York city, Chris Claremont was sitting on the file cabinet in Lotus position. Like, I mean, it was a joke. And, and Bob said he would do this all the time, literally stepped from the couch onto the file cabinet. And I remember specifically him telling me, telling Bob about this character that he wanted to introduce, which he was basing on John Malkovich and his character in dangerous liaison. And he was going to be this character called Gambit. And he was, completely you know breaking all this down to bob now that this is uh, i'm probably six issues into the new mutants at this point um and 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 i remember just like these people that afternoon that's when i physically met walt simonson and louise simonson was that trip i'm talking about right here in the hallways very tight hallway and walt said oh i can see you're really you know expanding your work you're you're not seeing the page as as, as panel by panel, you're seeing it as an entire page now. And he goes, just wait, you'll eventually see it as an entire book. And I got to understand what he said, but that is the, that that's the advice and the interaction I had with them for five minutes. Um, you know, I went, I went there to meet my editor, to meet Bob Harris. We, 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 he had hired me over the phone and we, he took me out to a couple lunches while I was there. And I popped my head into the offices. I told you, Jim relocated there for a year to get part of that energy of going in every day and, 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 and working all those relationships. But when, but again, realize what I just said, X-Men is being drawn on the West coast. Wolverine is being drawn on the West coast. Both Spider-Man books are being drawn on the West coast. New mutants later X-Force is being drawn on the West coast. Um, you know, two X-Men books, if you can't Wills and for a period, two Punisher books. Um, and, and, and so, the, the the 
the literally the pillars of Marvel Comics are now all coming from either California, North, South, or Vancouver, and uh, and Guardians of the Galaxy with Jim Valentino. So it was a real power shift. And here's the deal: they also felt that we all kind of looked alike in the way we drew, and and shared uh, uh, a common a commonality in our work. And they called it the West Coast style. So, so West Coast Mafia, West Coast style, and it is true. We were all, and, and again, we're all trying to emulate the guys we grew up loving who were all East Coast guys, Bern Perez, you know, Terry Austin, Walt Simons, and Frank Miller. Um, so, so dude, it, it, it really is an interesting time. And, and, and Bob would go, ah, you West Coast guys, you West Coast guys. I mean, it was definitely something that they were getting used to. And I talked about how Jim and I, I bought a fax machine. I called Jim told him about a fax machine, urged him to get one. He goes and get ones like the next day. Then we start faxing each other all the time. We then get Marvel to buy one. They did not know what it was. It was like literally like, like that, um, that scene in, uh, in what, what's, what's the blue steel movie with, with Ben, Ben Stiller. What's that called? Um, Zoolander. In Zoolander. Yeah. When talking to Marvel over the phone, you definitely had the feeling they're like, put, get files in computer, get, get files in like, like they couldn't get the concept of what do you mean this machine that you'll put a page in there and it'll come out here. But I remember hearing them describe it in almost famous, like, you know, you go across town and they have a jump, you know, you, you, you put in the, these papers and it takes 45 minutes, you know, and of course, you know, that's, you know, taking place in the seventies. Yes. Um, but I mean, it's that same still that's like old school, like, Oh my gosh, this mind blow of like, putting the paper in and they, in that appears, you know, yes. in another place. And so we really kind of revolutionized that going on. I mean, and, and because we wanted to have more of an instantaneous reaction to the stuff we were doing, whether it was cover sketches, character designs, it just made it more fun. It just made it more fun, but it was definitely, you know, that, that, that this is a time that represented a huge change. And here I'm going to, we, we got to, um, when you, you, when you talk about me real quick, re, re, negotiating i just again i cannot emphasize enough i had to stay with the program i did not want to lose step i saw the favor that jim was getting from all those editors at marvel and and the top gigs and and todd jim salakrep was todd's champion i want to say they were like belichick and brady um I mean, Jim Salakrup, once he got Todd over into Spider-Man and Spider-Man started to move the needle and test uh, and, and, and definitely test the X office and push it for popularity, which it hadn't done in 20 years. Okay. The, the, I mean, Jim and Todd, and again, he got really soft. Well, hey, it's Jim. Rob, it's Jim. We're having so much fun. He's just so chill and and he was like oh yeah todd's he's just doing great he's doing great i'm so proud of him i mean it was like this father-son relationship and they were really running the tables and i think bob saw what was happening and reset his own table by putting mark on wolverine jim on x-men wilson uncanny me on you know uh new mutants i mean it was it was it was a changing of the guard complete changing of the guard but i had to I had to compete. I had to compete. And in order to compete, I needed characters. Cause you know what? I look at new mutants again today and they've just, 
I look at that. I love it. I bought it. The, uh, the graphic novel, for those of you who don't know, the New Mutants franchise was started as a graphic novel. Um, when Marvel was doing their graphic novel line of about four or five a year, um, it was 100 pages. It was, you know, $7.95. It wasn't cheap. It was a nice square bound. And 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 I remember reading it going, I, I don't think I like any of these characters. Like, like, okay, a girl who turns into a wolf, someone who projects her mind, a guy who explodes. Like, they didn't speak to me. There was no Wolverine there. And, uh, you know, it... New Mutants needed a character. It needed it needed um, something to push it. And 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 with Todd on Spider Man again, great Rogues Gallery. And then Todd brought that creepiness to the art that that Ditko had. He was perfect. He's, per, he's still so perfect for that Spider Man book. I know he's never going to draw a comic again, but if he were, um, man, I think everybody would love to see him revisit Spider Man. Yeah, I mean, but then it's like, and it's a trip because it's like you you got the. You got the creepy, like Michelini gave him the the whirlwind tour of the Rogues Gallery, and then and then you know then he you know he he showboated you know when he had his own series like you know you know that's a you know term used of you know in wrestling and things like that. It's like he got to cherry pick like going okay, I want to do Wolverine, I want to do Ghost Rider, I want to do Mobius, the Living Vampire, who was actually kind of hot at the time. You know, I want to do the Wendigo. So it's like he got to cherry pick then, you know, all of the, all of the, all, all of the fan favorites. No, hundred percent. Absolutely. I know. I mean, look, he, he, he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. And, 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 and trust me. Oh, and, and X-Force. He got to, he got to, he got so, to cross over with X-Force. Let me tell you something. And, and, and this is a great place to, to kind of get, get, kind of connect all, all, all the stuff that's been discussed is so Todd, once he launched and he launched big, he wanted to stay there. He made moves to stay there. It was it was something he was doing very deliberately. He definitely uh, had he wanted to stay uh, in contention at the top of the start charts the entire time. And uh, you know, I think did he do thirteen issues and then leave? Was it thirteen? Um, I believe it was thirteen because thirteen was the he homaged himself with a black costume version right. of Spider-Man and, and, number one. And, and, so, I mean, again, he was doing the homages on top of the homages. On the, top so of the, the X-Force issue isn't his last issue. What was that? The X-Force issue isn't his last issue. Oh, I believe that. Ooh, you're, uh, that could be it. But what if he announced, 15, I think around 15, 15, the 15, issue, he, then, he, he then retired. Todd, Todd, Todd retired for a year. We can go into that at some other t- point in time because that's kind of the precursor for what's coming. There's, there's definitely um, Todd was trying to break into the the sports merchandise world during that time, and, and that had that occurred, we would have a different, as different as things would have been without X Force happening because Ed, X Force gives me the platform to go off and start my own concepts outside. It would have been different had Todd been able to do that but that's another podcast but here's the deal todd on spider-man only exists because of those legends of the dark knight construction paper variants jimmy i've talked about them they were blue they were yellow they were pink and they were orange okay and all they were was the legend of the dark knight title pay title on on a, a bright piece and the construction paper on the back was just blank like it, you, you turn it over and it's just, you know, the rest of the construction paper the, without printing on it. It's, it's pink. It's orange. Were, were you a part of that? Did you buy those? 
Oh, yeah, you, well, no. The reason being is that I wanted to, man. I heard about him, and I went to Passport Comics in the San Fernando Valley, and Crazy Earl, which is an old crotchety man that is every stereotype of the comic book guy, and he would lecture how we weren't supposed to buy multiple issues of the same book, and because we wouldn't have enough money to go and spend it on other books and other titles that we should be collecting. And that was the, you know, that was the bane of the industry. And so uh, we only got the blue covers. And it was several months later uh, that I went to the San Diego Comic-Con and I saw all the colors actually in person rather than just hearing about them. And when I held them in my hands, eh, they weren't so special several months later. But man, when they came out, I wanted them all. So... So, you know, it's interesting because, like I said, I I remember, you know, I I heard there was going to be multiple covers. I didn't know what it was going to be. So I saw those construction paper, the bright colors. I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny, the frenzy that was created around him. And like I said, it set in motion this entire game plan upon which Marvel would go, oh, yeah, we can we can do that one better. We can do that one better. You did Batman. We will meet your Batman with Spider-Man. Um, but here's the deal, man. The 90s are the beginning of a completely different age. And the other day, there was a poll on Facebook. And I, it went up and it, it said, what's your favorite decade? And you and I both voted in it. 90s, 80s, 70s. I voted 70s. That's, I was true to myself. Jimmy, the 90s took off and is the most – the 2000s are in there too. After – a week, the 2000s had zero votes. And it showed me, I mean, the 90s is pulling away and is the most uh, popular. I mean, it was the 90s, then the 80s, then the 70s, I think the 60s and the 2000s had one vote each, okay? But it showed me the 90s, we started this with me hunting down Deadpool toys uh, at Frank and Sons, this giant mecca of comic books and collectibles and toys and games. And I've seen this the stuff that you're moving, and and uh, you know, a, a page of I now see my pages of art that I sold for two hundred dollars, going for fifty thousand dollars at Heritage Auctions. Okay, and you're like, the '90s has really, uh, it, it's been activated. Like, I like, think, I mean, part of it is that, you know, what is, is the nostalgia of coming of age, but there's another part that it's just, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And it's like the rules were being rewritten at this time. And, you know, and I think, it, I think the, the work shows and, you know, and it's, and it, it's gained, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's gained over time. It's not just, Hey, I liked it as a kid. It is, I mean, it's finding new audiences. So we are just uh, we're gonna keep dancing with the '90s, and and I mean it, it's it's a fascinating era. The West Coast mafia, the West Coast style. All of us, our eyes on each other. Nobody, you know, we are. It, it's to this day, it amazes me that we all banded together in the way that we did. But look, thank you for 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 joining me today, Jimmy, and walking through all of this. I I mean, I feel like we just uh, we put it all out there. Look, the, the the 90s, I see it on, look, when I go into Target, 
you know, I, I just see, like I said, I see, I see venom end caps. I see entire pegs of, uh, of Deadpool. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm going to wrap with this. You know that I, you know, my, my assortment of cable figures, the Josh Brolin cable figure wasn't coming in. And, uh, the, the, the ship date doesn't have those getting to me till October. And I check with all the other dealers and they're the same, but the Walmarts got them physically. They got them first. And even one of the guys at Frankenstein's that I depend on the most with my toys, like, Oh yeah, man, you know, I'm not getting mine till the first week of October. I mean, they're in stores now, you know, they're in the stores, but they're not doing the mail order. You know, they're waiting to fulfill those. And I love that guy. He's the best. Um, so I decided to hightail it and go to all these Walmarts. And long story short, Escondido, which is 90 minutes from me, Orange, Fullerton, Brea, all within a 25-mile radius, 25-minute radius. Um, every one of them, Jimmy, right now, what's out is the uh, Deadpool line, the Deadpool movie line, and a Spider-Man line of toys. And they're all gone. They're all gone. The pegs are empty. Um, I talked to the, the box boys. I say, hey, when did these get restocked? Once a week? He's like, oh, no, sometimes once a day, you know, but they, they go really fast. And when I was talking to the guys at Frankenstein's and I'm like, that Deadpool, like new Le Legends figures, they're just, they're and again, in that, so just so you know, it's not just Deadpool, it's Maverick, who we mentioned, Maverick from, from the 90s X-Men. You got two Deadpools, you got Black Tom Cassidy. You got the build of a character in 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 uh in in Juggernaut, and then I'm blanking on the oh I think no I'm not I'm not sure who the other assortments are, but they're all reflective of this age I'm talking about now, and they are the toys that are disappearing. And that Josh Brolin cable is impossible to grab. It's impossible. Um, it, you know the guys at Frankenstein's are like oh man I sold out the day I got them and I, I'm fighting to get a restock. Nineties. Well, 90s. also, I mean, and then think about this, man. It's the '90s. It's that that are resonating. It's not because that there is a hit Deadpool movie in the theater right now that we're all walking out of. You know, it's. I mean, it, like in and of itself, it's two years removed, and people are still digging it. People are still digging well, these look, and, and Venom. Venom got bumped. Absolutely. Venom was supposed to come out Halloween, and now it's bumped till Halloween 2021. But Venom is showing no signs of slowing down. And I mean, I think Marvel's major event, uh, the King in Black, is that it? Is that what it's called? Is, yeah. Is now now completely Venom. It's propelled 100% by all things Venom related and the stuff that we talked about. Null, null. I'll have to ask how that is. But uh, look, 90s, are, are, I'm feeling it. I see it. You guys out there who are listening to the podcast are giving us great feedback. Thank you for that. I am on social media at Twitter at Robert Leifeld. Uh, on Instagram, I am at Rob Leifeld. So Robert Leifeld on Twitter, Rob Leifeld on Instagram. I got the blue check. That is important to note because I have imitators. I love my cross-eyed versions of myself that people put out there that you know have 14 followers, but they're meant to fool you. Don't follow them. Follow the real guy. That's me. Um, Jimmy, where are you on social media? I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Comic Con. And it's all everything spelled out. There's no funky spellings, any apostrophes, any dashes, anything like that. Just Amazing Comic Con at Amazing Comic Con. Well, man, we put it all in the crock pot today, baby. We cooked that. We, we cooked up a stew. 
We cooked up a stew and there is more stew to come and, 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 and we got more plates to fill and, and, and the cafeteria is open. The cafeteria is open here at Rob Observations. Jimmy, dude, thanks for hanging with me. Um, everybody, uh, uh, make sure you recommend, subscribe, spread the word about Rob Observations. We're having a good time. We're, we're, we're walking through this really fun period of comics. Uh, so much to come in the 90s. We could do 25 episodes alone. Thank you. Um, as always, take care of yourself. Stay safe. And we will talk again soon. 